if you were here last week. And Curtis couldn't make it, and I had to lead. I'm sure, like you, or like me, you're all thankful that Curtis is back, picking good songs and leading us well. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, we want you to be our vision, and yet in so many ways we are still so blind. Your light shines all around us, and the scales on our eyes cover it, and we cannot see. So continue, please. Shine your favor, shine your mercy, your light on us, that we would wake more and more. We would arise more and stand more confidently in the light that Christ gives us. Amen. The young man had so much potential. He grew up with every opportunity in a respectable Christian home. His father was a deacon. His grandfather was a preacher. So everyone assumed that he too would become a servant in the church like the rest of his family. But instead, he rejected the faith of his family. In his youthful ambition and ignorance, he rejected their faith and pursued a life according to his own desires. And then came that fateful day when he was only 16 years old. In a moment of great vulnerability, he was taken captive by a group of people with sinister motives. Suddenly, he found himself on a ship being taken across the sea to a strange land where he would become a slave laborer and suffer through strange religious customs. He was thrust into the darkness of despair for six long years. After he spent much time alone in this painstaking and unrewarding work, he began to think much about all those things that his father and his grandfather had taught him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he realized, after meditating on this message over and over, that he actually deserved such suffering for his rebellion against God. And he did the only thing he could do, cry out to God for mercy, for forgiveness. And God was pleased to answer that prayer. He shined a light into his darkness, and gave him hope to endure his trials. And then one day he had a dream that he should try to escape his captors. So, in the middle of the night, he snuck away from the farm that had been his prison. He ran quickly to the coast and found a ship willing to give him passage back to his home. And he arrived reuniting with his family, They embraced him tightly, never wanting to let him go again. But this young man was changed. He now carried the light of the gospel in him. He radiated compassion and hope. He shined love and mercy on everyone who saw him. The power of his light was so strong that he felt compelled to return to his captors and preached the gospel to them. So 20 years later, Patrick boarded a ship back to Ireland and preached the gospel to those Druid chieftains who had held him in slavery for six years. 
This little act of faith from Patrick, returning to the land that kept him in darkness, changed an entire island with the light of the gospel alive in him. This is the call that every single Christian has on his or her life. We've all been called out of darkness into Christ's marvelous light. And Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, that now that we have this light, we are called in some way or another to take the light back into the darkness and shine it on all those around us. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, and see what Paul has to say about light. The light in us. Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 14. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Just like Patrick, Paul says that the responsibility of every believer in Christ is to take the light that we've been given into the darkness and expose the deeds done there. The main idea here that Paul is trying to get across is that Jesus has already shined his light on you in order that you will then take that light further into the darkness of the world. Jesus shined His light on all of us that we would reflect it into the darkness of the world. We'll illuminate this point by going through the text verse by verse in three different parts. First, we'll look at the way that we are supposed to walk as children of light in verses 11 and 12. Second, we will marvel at the mechanics of light, how light works in verses 13 and just the beginning of 14. And finally, we'll take a look at how this work was actually foretold by Isaiah the prophet by looking at the end of verse 14. So let's start with verses 11 and 12. Paul says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Last week, Jake preached on the previous verses 6 through 10, telling us, don't be deceived by the schemes of the devil. Don't be taken in by the dark shroud of temptation that he puts around us, but instead walk as children of light. In verse 8, Paul wrote, we were once in darkness, but now we are light. So Paul is continuing that theme here explaining for us what does it mean for us to walk as children of light. He does this in two parts. He gives a negative perspective and a positive. The negative says, don't do this, and then the positive says, instead, do this. We're told to avoid the works of darkness. Take no part in the sinful activities of the world. What are these sinful activities that he wants us to avoid? I think they're what Craig preached on a couple of weeks ago from verse 3. Sexual immorality. 
impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, pride, crude joking, idolatry. As children of light, we should have no part in anything like this. No one should ever be able to ascribe one of these behaviors to any of us. Take no part literally means have no fellowship with these deeds. Avoid them like the plague, he says. But unlike the plague, we cannot quarantine ourselves. Interestingly, Paul won't let us create our own Benedict option where we hole ourselves up in our own homes or in our own communities. We have work to do as children of light. We can't just hide out in the bomb shelter and hope that the apocalypse passes us over and then step out of the bomb shelter into the new creation. Paul says, instead, we are to expose the darkness. That is, go into the darkness and shine our light there. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, that the point of lighting a lamp isn't to put a cover over it. But you light a lamp and then you put it in a dark place so you can see what's going on there. And so He has lit us as lamps and sends us into the darkness to expose the sinful deeds of the world. Paul uses the word expose here in the context of dark and light. And it fits well, but normally this word that's translated expose simply means to use words to confront someone's behavior. To use words to argue or discuss, to convince someone through conversation. So in the section in Matthew 18 where Jesus teaches us how to confront a brother who's in sin, He says to us, go and tell him his fault. The words that, the word that's translated tell him his fault is the exact same word that Paul uses for expose. So expose their darkness doesn't mean we huddle together here in this room as believers and talk about all the nasty things that they do out there. It doesn't mean we gossip to one another. Can you believe the sins that they are doing? It's just shameful. This word expose means go to the person committing the sin. Tell them what an offense to God it is. But that's such a difficult thing for us to do. Because some of these things are really shameful things to talk about, says verse 12. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. This, the meaning of this verse really can trip up a lot of people. When we read this right off the bat, we think, we're coming out of this context of avoid these things, don't take any fellowship with them, and, and don't even, we read this verse, don't even talk about them. Don't have any part in them, and don't even talk about them. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I think what he's really saying is that the people in the culture know their conscience is burning them and they know it's shameful to be doing these things. And so they won't talk about them. Because if someone talks about them, they will come to light and they will be exposed for their shameful deeds. They try to cover it up because they flourish in their immorality if nobody speaks a word about it. It could mean that 
that we're not even supposed to talk about these things as believers, but that would make more sense if he put this phrase right after the first half of verse 11. So it would be something like, take no part in the works of darkness and don't even talk about them. But instead, he puts something in between. He puts a positive command there that says, instead, expose them. So what he's saying is, the world doesn't want us to talk about their sins, but we're going to. We are going to expose it. We're going to shine light on their deeds. Now that doesn't mean we go into graphic detail about everything that they're doing. We don't have to talk about every sexual deed of misconduct that they commit. Paul doesn't do so. He just uses the phrase sexual immorality. We know what that means. We know what filthy, crude speech is. We don't need to give examples here. We know what it is. Paul gives us the example to show that we can tactfully engage in exposing these sins in conversation without making it look like we're part of taking part of them. I think this call to go into the darkness and expose the deeds in the darkness is a lot like going into an old abandoned house. It's dark. It's creepy in there, but you saw a lot of potential, so you bought this house in order to restore it. You saw, man, this place has a lot of potential for glory, and you want to restore it. So you go in there, you purchase the place, and you go in, and you're all excited, but you're nervous to turn the light on and see what it actually looks like, what filth is going on in there. And right when you hit the switch, cockroaches, hundreds of cockroaches scatter And you kind of got to grab your stomach there for a moment. You don't know what they were doing there. You don't really want to know what they were doing there. You don't want to know what drew them there or how they, where they came in. All you want to know is that they are gone. You shine the light and get them out of there. And that's the first step towards restoring that building is getting, turning the light on and just getting those cockroaches out of there. As children of light, it's our responsibility too to shine the light of Christ into the darkness of the world and expose the infestation of sin and shame that covers the ground. But what are we using? We're using the light of Christ. And how does this light work? Light is really incredible stuff. Paul explains this in verses 13 and The beginning of 14, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, if you read that and you go, what in the world did he just say? You're not alone. I read that multiple times and was so confused. Anything that becomes visible is light? Does Paul have his physics off here? It just sounds so confusing, but light itself is also quite confusing. It's really difficult to understand. It has properties of both particles flying straight through the air or through space, and it has wave properties. It can go through empty space, the darkness of empty space, and it can bend like a wave into multiple colors. It reflects off of other things spreading all over the space. And then our word for light is even flexible. 
we use the word light for both the source of light and what comes from it. So we think of the sun. We look up to the sun and say, it's a light. But then so is what we call everything that it gives. The sunlight is also a light. Or one of these lights, lamps, chandeliers, whatever we call them, that we call that a light. We just call it light. But it also gives off light. The illumination it gives to this room is light. So Paul says, anything exposed by the light becomes visible. Well, that's a pretty obvious statement, I think. If this room were dark and there were a a spotlight in the back of the room and you couldn't see anything, but then the spotlight shined on me, I become visible. You could see me. That's an obvious statement. But then he says this really confusing thing, that the thing that becomes visible is light. How does shining a light on an object turn that object into light? This is where Paul uses the flexibility of that word. The thing that shines light, that the light is shown on, is also reflecting light. So if the light is shining on me, I now become a new source of light to you. It reflects back into your eyes so that you can see. And so that's what Paul is saying. The object is now becoming a new source of light in the world. Think of the sun and the moon and the sky. The Bible refers to them both as great sources of light. The great lights in the sky. But the more we get to know about the sun and the moon, we know that the sun is actually the only source of light, and the moon is simply a reflective piece of rock flying around the earth. So the sun shines on it in an incredible way so that when we have a full moon, it really brightens up a dark night. But it doesn't have light of its own. It's reflecting the source of light from the sun. And so we, we, when we become children of light, we become reflectors like the moon in the world. We were once in darkness, Paul said, and now we are shining God in God's light of Christ whom He shone on us. He transformed us into new sources of light. I went back to verse 8 that Jake preached on and notice something strange. He said, you were once in darkness, but now you are light. He doesn't say now you are in light. He says you are light. He took you out of darkness and made you into light. And now he's sending us back into darkness. Reflecting the source of light himself. God is alive in us. John said in 1 John 1.5 that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Curtis read for us from John 1 that He is a light come into the world. John 3.19, John says the same thing, that Jesus is the light come into the world, but the darkness hated Him. Jesus is the light in us and He dwells in us so that wherever we go, we shine the light of Christ. Now what's really exciting to me, though, from these verses is how God planned all of this incredible light-shining work from long ago. The last half of verse 14 is, takes us on a bit of an adventure through the book of Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before Jesus came. But Paul picks up his language and he writes, Awake, O sleeper! And arise from the dead, and the light and Christ will shine on you. 
He uses this imagery of sleep and darkness and death as symbols of unbelief, of spiritual deadness, of enslavement to sin. So he said in the beginning of chapter 2, you were once dead in trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive in Christ. And then in verse 8 here, he says, you were once in darkness and now you are light. Paul's not making these images up. He didn't come up with these on his own because he thought they would make sense to his hearers. He got them from the book of Isaiah. Verse 14 isn't a quote, a direct quote from anywhere in Isaiah or in the Old Testament. So it's kind of hard to follow what he's doing here. But I think that this little poem is a bit of a summary poem of what Isaiah was focusing on in his book. So I want to just present... Four verses from the book of Isaiah to see where Paul's getting this idea of light shining on us. Uh, The first one is Isaiah 6.10, and we'll look at Isaiah 9.2, and Isaiah 26.19, and finally Isaiah 60, verse 1. In Isaiah chapter 6, this is when God calls Isaiah to his prophetic ministry. He opens up to Isaiah the throne room of heaven where God is sitting on His throne in marvelous, spectacular light and fiery angels just flying all over around Him. And He sees this light and He realizes, I am in a lot of trouble. In my sin, I just saw the glory of God. But God quickly comes in and rescues him and says, you are purified, you're cleansed, you're okay, Isaiah. And now that you are, I am calling you on a mission. Will you go? And he says, "Uh, here I am. Send me. I'm, I'm willing to go. Unfortunately, God reveals to him what his ministry is going to look like. He tells him he's going to have this ministry of condemnation. His preaching's not going to create converts. But instead... His preaching will actually, quote, blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes. Isaiah's ministry of preaching was actually to keep people locked up in darkness. That's some heavy truth to wrestle with. The people chose darkness rather than light. They loved the darkness rather than light. So the God of light said, you can have your darkness. Keep it forever. But Isaiah does offer some rays of hope through the rest of his book. In Isaiah 9, he tells of the coming Messiah who is going to bring us out of that darkness. He calls this Messiah wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace looking forward into history when this Messiah comes, Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He looks forward and sees when the Messiah comes, He's going to bring a transforming light. And then Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew 4, verse 16 claiming that he himself is that light that Isaiah predicted. Then we go to 
chapter 26, verse 19. And Isaiah sees the results of this light entering into the world. He wonders, what's going to happen when this light comes in? What kind of transforming work is he going to do? And he writes in 26.19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So now we see this idea that the light that's to come is going to awaken sleepers and raise the dead. And then we get to the end, near the end of the book in chapter 60. Finally, Isaiah looks to the future at a day when people will really respond to the light. You can imagine, I'm sure, after a lifetime of preaching that only hardens hearts, how desperate Isaiah is. How hopeful he is that one day someone who does what he does, preaches the Word of God, is going to actually awaken hearts. So with great anticipation, he looks forward into the future, seeing this vision and reaches to people on the other side of this time divide and says, Arise! Shine! Your light has come! And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. We are now in that time that Isaiah looked forward to. He had a ministry that he preached about the light and it only condemned people in darkness. And now we get to take our light into the world and it overcomes darkness. Isaiah would be jealous of us to have such a privilege to speak the Word of God and bring hope and restoration. Paul grabs on to this quote, and he says, the glory of the Lord that shines, that has risen, is Jesus Christ who shines on you. When he writes shines on you in verse 14, it literally means He gives His light to you. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. There was a day when the light was covered. There was a day when the light seemed so dim. But today, right now, the light is powerful to save and He's ready to give it to you. If you're a Christian today, it's because Christ has shined His light on you. He's given His light to you. You awoke. You came to life. And if you're not a believer yet, if you can hear this Word being preached, open your eyes. See the light. Awake, O sleeper. At this very moment, light is shining in this room that you have not been able to see until today. Let the light expose you. Let the cockroaches of sin scatter from your heart. And let the light do its cleansing work. Rejoice with us in this light and take the light, like Patrick did, back into the darkness of those who enslave us. How should we do that? What do we do today to shine light in darkness? I just have two more points of application to dwell on briefly. First, I want to return to this idea of shame. Paul tells us that the light of Christ exposes what is shameful. I think it would be helpful for us to understand that there's two different types of shame that we might experience in our lives. The first type of shame is what results from our own sin. 
We commit a sin that we know is wrong and we feel guilt. We feel the condemnation from God and we hide in shame of what that sin does to us. It makes us small. It makes us shameful before God. But then the light of Christ shining on it is what's necessary to bring it to light so we can see it for what it really is. Disgusting, filthy, worthy of condemnation, and we want to get rid of it. So the light of Christ shines on it and leads us to repentance. Leads us to not want it anymore and we cry out to God, keep shining your light in me that I can get rid of this shame. The other type of shame results from other people sinning against us or from the world and its brokenness being heaping shame upon us. So we feel this shame through no fault of our own. It was given to us. And we feel objectified, used, dirty, weak, broken, useless. It's not our fault that we have this brokenness, but it was given to us and we can't get rid of it. I know it's not my fault, but what do I do to get rid of this shame? So someone may have abused you or abandoned you. And you feel shame for their sin because their sin against you makes you feel like you are worthless, that you deserved it. You're embarrassed and you hide it from people. Or the brokenness of the world makes you feel like, I don't get what other people have. I don't get to have the normal, beautiful life that everyone else gets to have. And you feel shame that you're not good enough. But the marvelous thing about both types of shame is that the same light of Christ shining on it is what's going to bring hope and healing. We must speak of the shameful deeds done in the darkness. We have to. Because that's what's going to bring healing when we expose it with the light. That's what's going to bring people out of the darkness when we speak of those, condemn them with our words. Both these kinds of shame require us to be vulnerable before one another. As we've seen, the light of Christ doesn't just magically show up one day in our lives, but it comes through other people, through Christians, who shine the light of Christ for us into our hearts. We must open up and be willing to allow other people to see into our darkness so they can shine a light of hope there. If you're harboring a secret sin, confess it to one another. So that a fellow believer can come in and shine a light of forgiveness in there. If you're covering shame that someone else's sin has heaped upon you, tell someone that you can trust so that the person can respond with a light of hope and healing into your heart. Either way, we must be willing to open up, be vulnerable, and express our deepest fears and failures, trusting that the light alive in each one of you is sufficient to bring hope and life. Which leads me to my final point. Jesus said that the purpose of lighting a lamp is not to cover it, but to put it into the darkness. Paul commands us to expose the works done in darkness. We can't be afraid to go into the darkness to go into where we might get dirty, to go where it might be fearful for us. 
We can't hide. We can't separate from other people's sins, afraid of the darkness. We must be willing to go in there and be touched by one of those cockroaches because we're promised that it won't contaminate us. An interesting parallel makes, should make us much more confident in this task that God calls us to. In the Old Testament law, there was these rules of ritual cleanness and unclean. So there were various things that were unclean, and it, if you touched it, it could pass from, you, from it to you. So one thing would be a dead animal. If there was a dead animal laying on the side of the road, and I walked up and touched it, I would become unclean. And until I co- complete some ritual cleansing and wait a certain number of days, I too am unclean. And if I go and touch another person, they become unclean. It's not because these are particularly sinful things. It was just this picture that God gave to show how sin permeates the world. How sin easily transmits from one to another. But when Jesus came, there was a fundamental change in how this reality worked. Jesus touched all kinds of unclean things. And they didn't make Him unclean. He made them clean. He touched prostitutes. He touched a leper and healed them, cleaned them. And the Pharisees are freaking out, going, you can't do that. Now you are becoming unclean. But they were cleansed. They were healed. Something dramatically different has happened. When Jesus came, there was a radical reversal in the way purity works. Unclean no longer overtakes the clean. And darkness can't overcome light. And so with this confidence, we go into the darkness with our light, knowing it will overtake it. If you're a believer in Christ, His light shines from you into the dark corners of the world. He uses us to reach parts of the world where He wouldn't just from up in the sky. He sends us to reflect it underneath and around. More than being lights, we are mobile lights. Unlike the temple that was set up on the hill. We are not a city on a hill with a light beaming out that we call people up to. We look down on the world from our enlightened position. No! Christ came down from His exalted position of glory into our darkness and shined His light on us. And now we are called to do the same for others with the promise that our light will overcome the darkness. So I send you away with, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works, and that they may be transformed into light themselves, and they may glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, when I look out and see the sky... I'm amazed at the brightness of the blue sky and the multiple colors that you send through the sky in different images. And yet I realize that I am missing so much that occurs because I am still blind in so many ways. God, all of us remain too much in darkness. We wear glasses that keep us from seeing clearly. We still see too dimly But I pray, God, that our worship today, this word today, 
has removed more and more of the shade from our eyes. God, send us out from this place that we may see your Spirit at work all around us. We may see people as full of potential for glory, as image bearers of God. Please help us confidently expose the works of darkness in them and bring them into light. God, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and call many out of darkness into your marvelous light. Amen.